How to make that sweet, sweet moolah just like the banks is the topic for today's episode. You are listening to the Champion Hustle Podcast. Play to succeed in business and in life. Featuring Levi Hunsaker and Ryan Black. Hello and welcome to the Champion Hustle Podcast. This is episode number 29. My name is Ryan Black. My name is Levi Hunsaker. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing awesome. We're going to talk about how to make sweet, sweet moolah. Sweet, <laughs> sweet moolah. This is this is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite investing strategies, actually. So, yeah, it's you know it's interesting. So many people don't understand how the banking system works, and we're, I mean we're not going to dive too deep on that today, but definitely we're gonna we're gonna touch on it. And once you understand how the banking system works, it'll change your perspective a little bit on how you handle your own money. And that is, um, yeah, that's the topic of, of today's thing. But we got a reminder for you guys before we dive into that. Our seven-day quick start boot camp available on our website at championhustle.com. So make sure you go and check that out. And so you can start the year off right with, uh, you know, getting your business where it needs to be. Championhustle.com, our seven-day absolutely free quick start boot camp. Now, making money like the banks. You, you've never worked at a bank, have you, Levi? I have not, but... I know you have. I have. I, I so I I've had I've experienced the dark side. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't know if it's a dark side, right? We we love banks to be able to get the loans that we need when we need them, and to have access to the credit that we need when we need it for our business. Yeah. So this isn't about vilifying the banks. It's about understanding a system, so that we can go replicate it. Because replicating a system that's working is one of the best ways. To achieve success, yeah, that's true. There, the the banks, it is a tool, right? When we know how to use them correctly or work with them correctly, that's that's when it becomes more advantageous. Because the the challenge is, and the reason why I say the dark side is because most people don't understand how the banks work. They don't understand interest. They don't understand money, and so the banks take advantage of them. But when you so, have the right knowledge, then you can kind of turn the tables and make it more of an equal relationship. So let me ask you this. When you were working at the bank, did you know what we're going to be talking about today? Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so even sometimes the people that are working at the banks don't fully understand the the full details of the banking system. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. And I would ask, like I would try to figure out, I'm like, this doesn't make sense because I'm inquisitive. So I would ask certain things and and even like even people that had been there for a really long time and had a lot more experience than I did at the bank, like they were like, I don't know, it's just that's how it is. I'm like, but why? You know, like the little kids, they're like, why, 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 why? I, but why? I want to know why. I want to understand this so that it you know makes sense. But um, yeah, so <laughs> it's funny. So, so yeah, let's. let's uh... Are we going to talk at the same time today? Is that we, what we're we doing? We probably are. I, I think uh, this is going to be a fun episode. We're just going to have lots of pauses, lots of awkward stares at each other. And I'm not going to edit that stuff out. It's going to stay in in all its glory for our listeners. Hey, that's so fine. Enjoy, you guys. I was going to say, let's uh, maybe we should break down the business model of the banks first, of what that is and how it works, because so many people don't understand that, and that kind of gives us a good foundation, right? Yeah. So... So let's talk about this in terms of um, how the banks are going to make their money. So the first thing I want to do is, for those of you that are 
on like IGTV or YouTube or Facebook, you're gonna actually be able to see this. I'm gonna share my screen here, uh, but we're gonna talk through it as well. So if I look at this right here, and let me find the right window. Are you seeing the right thing, Ryan? Yep, I see, it looks like uh, Chase, the Chase website. Okay, so nothing against Chase or anybody else. They, they are somewhat at the mercy of um, in the United States, the Fed rate. And right now that Fed rate is between zero and a quarter percent. And so it's extremely low. And as that goes up, interest rates goes up, but as it goes down to kind of fuel the economy is, is the idea. I'm not an economist, so we're not gonna get into that, but, but that's kind of the idea. Um, in any case, what is that saying right there? If I put $10,000 into a savings account, what kind of interest rate am I gonna get there, Ryan? You're getting a whopping 0.01% per year. Ooh, maybe I'll put more in it. <laughs> yeah. Is that a great idea? So they're, they're getting 0.01%. Okay, cool. There's, there's possibly even ways to make more money with the banks. And as you see, you know, maybe you put more money in. Even here with, with the, what we're seeing, Chase, and, and these rates right here are effective as of December 31st, 2020. So just to you know, not too long ago. And yeah. uh, these, these are the rates. 10 million bucks in the bank, you can earn up to a whopping 0.05% interest rate. Now, devil's advocate here. Some people say, hey, at least I'm getting something for my money, right? If I were to, you know, stock the, the money away under a mattress or put it into a safe or a, you know, a safety deposit box or something, I don't get anything. At least I'm making something, right? At least I'm making something off my money. What would you have to say to somebody? Now, I don't agree with that, but I'm... <laughs> so but... On, on face value, that's probably true. You, you would have a little bit more money on paper than you have had before, but the average... Um, inflation rate in the United States, at least. I, I'm not sure exactly what it is around the world, but the average inflation rate is about 2%, 1.9%, I think. But, you know, if you are making less than the inflation rate, the effectiveness of your money is diminishing. It's, it's going down. So you're actually having less power to your money by earning less than the interest, uh, than the inflation rate. Yeah, the buying power, the buying power of a dollar decreases, and so you're actually losing money by sticking it in the bank. It's just that you're losing buying power. You're not losing money, right? Because it's federally insured, and um, you know it's there unless it gets you know it seized right. or so, something. So it's, that's, it's, it's there, but you're losing buying power. So you're really losing money <laughs> by sticking it that, in the bank. That that is a benefit, right? Is that it's insured money. So if it gets stolen or whatever. You know, depends on who's doing the stealing, I guess, but uh, <laughs> we're not going to go there. No. Now, some people say, well, but what if I do a CD? CDs in, in the past, and I've done a CD before, yep. that CD, I think I had up to, I think at the time it was like a 4% interest rate. Okay. But let's see what Bank of America says today in, in terms of its CD rates. So a minimum $1,000 
can get you a whopping 0.03 to 0.03%, depending on the balance and term. Wow. So again, because of that Fed rate that I was talking about, CD rates are not very high. You're not getting much more than your your regular savings by putting it in a CD. And so the the idea of locking your money up is is not very valuable right now. Yeah, and to clarify for because we may have some listeners who aren't familiar with CDs, ah, or they may be the terminology might be different where they live. A CD stands for certificate of deposit, and it's simply a um, you got your savings account where you can, you know, withdraw and deposit money whenever you want. You have a money market account, which is a little less liquid than a savings account. And then a CD is a little less liquid than a money market. The idea is you have, you know, a thousand, 10,000, whatever amount that you say, I'm not going to need this within the next 24 to 48 months or whatever. I don't need to touch the money. So you can sock it away for a couple of years. You can't take the money out. If you take the money out, if you distribute a CD before the maturity date, typically you forfeit all of the earned dividends. So, so it, the, it depends on the terms. Some of it you yeah. may forfeit the last 90 days or something like that, but but you're not going to get the full benefit when you break a an agreement with a CD. Right. It's just where you're putting some money away. You're not touching it for typically several years. And you're so in, in turn, you're supposed to get a better return on your, on your money. But, and and we're going to talk today why the banks love you to have CDs. Oh yeah. But, uh, you know, if you did a a minimum $10,000, you could get a 0.05% at, at today's rate. So, in my opinion, these are not very good. There's not a lot of incentive to keep it there. But uh, we're going to talk about maybe a little different example. So let's talk about how the banks make money now. So you understand how you're making money with the banks. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about how the banks make money. So if I come in here and... We're going to shift to the, the iPad here. And let's say you have $1,000. We showing up? Yep. Yep. Make, I see sure, make sure my tech's working, right? And, and let's, let's get crazy here and say you're getting a 1% interest rate. We've already, we've already shown kind of where the interest rates are at today. <laughs> but let's say you're getting 1% on your money. So in a year, what are we going to get? Uh, 10 bucks. Okay, you got 10 bucks in the year. Awesome. You made some money, right? You started out a little better than you were before. But, you know, remember inflation. Now, what is the bank going to do with this money? They're going to they have like a huge swimming pool in the basement and it, they yep. put all the money in that, and then they they swim in it, right? So, so I'm glad Ryan's here because he has the, worked at a bank, and so he knows this kind of stuff. <laughs> That's one of the things they don't tell you unless you work there. No, they, what the banks do with the money is the magical A word, arbitrage. They do arbitrage with your money. They take the money that is, you know, you put money on deposit, whether it's in a savings, a money market, a CD, whatever, and then they pay you a little bit of interest for borrowing your money and then they turn around and relend that money either to you or to somebody else who's another customer at their bank at a much higher interest rate and then when you look at the 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 spread or the difference between what they're paying and what they're receiving that spread is their uh, their profit arbitrage it's called arbitrage 
So I, I didn't look up what auto interest rates are today, but we're going to say it's about what? What would you say? 3%? Yeah. Yeah. For somebody with good credit. Yeah. Okay. So we'll say somebody with good credit um, and, and uh, you know, steady income and stuff like that. They're going to get the best rate and we'll say it's about 3%. Forgot to look that up, but it's, it's a pretty good thing. So you put a thousand bucks in the bank and you go and say, okay, I want to buy this $10,000 car. Okay. And they're going to get 3% on that. So what are they going to make in a year? Uh, we'd have to run the amortization table on that because remember, not only is there a spread on the interest rate, there's a spread on how it's paid out. There, that's true, but let's let's just do a simple math here. We're okay. going to do cowboy math, okay? Because it, it, in reality, the first year this is going to be higher, but I, I want you to see how crazy of a return the banks are making. Right. Well, so of course you're going to ask me to do math right now. So we've got ten thousand. Uh, so that would be three. No, that would be thirty. Thirty. Carry bucks. the one. No, no. See, this is why. This is why I have something. I just have to preface this. I failed um, trigonometry <laughs> twice in high school. The teacher, he was the football coach. He's like, you should just give up. And I just walked out and stopped taking the class. So that's why I use. Uh, Three hundred dollars. <laughs> that's that's why I use this. This is called a calculator. <laughs> okay, three hundred bucks. I so use spreadsheets bank, and calculators. Thank you. The bank just took your money and other people's money and lent out three hundred um, to make three hundred bucks. Right. So what's the difference there? Oh, it's because you got you got to do ten thousand on the first one too to make the well. So that's you, right? Right. So ten thousand. If if they took ten thousand total from people at one percent, that's a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks, right? Okay. So we'll say no. Nope, we're gonna go two hundred bucks. Is there arbitrage on that in the year? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. What kind of a return is that on the ten thousand? Or on the money that they borrowed. You're asking me to do all this math. Because they're borrowing it from you, right? Yep. My brain can't do math right now. Okay. <laughs> so the reality is that's that's 2% for them. Still. I mean, they borrowed $10,000 at 1%. Right. And they're making a 2% spread. Now, this isn't very sexy when you talk about in $10,000 chunks, but what if you talked about it in $10 million chunks? Right. Right? That's when you start to compound or a billion dollars, right? This is when you start to compound the effects of that simple 2%, but it gets better. How much money did the bank have in the transaction? From their pocket? Well, nothing. They borrowed the money from the, from the depositors. So they were 2%, but if they didn't invest anything, what is their return? Infinity percent. Infinity percent. <laughs> Does that make you feel like a third grader? <laughs> I a made infinity bit. percent. <laughs> well, and, and, the, and the funny thing or the ironic thing about this too is many times, right? You say, okay, well, I've got you know $1,000 or $10,000 on deposit. 
It's the same person who has the money on deposit that turns around and then borrows the money back from the bank. <laughs> because they, it's true. They tell you, hey, it's true. you know what? You got to save this money for a rainy day. Don't touch it. Let's keep it, you know, keep it here in the savings account. But you got to buy that car. So we'll happily give you a loan against uh, the car, right? A car loan. And so you're giving them their money and then they're turning around and giving it right back to you and saying here at a higher rate yeah at a higher rate it's your same (laughs) money to the same people oh my goodness so one other thing to mention on this is it gets even sexier for the banks because that even that 200 bucks you got to remember that um at least in the united states with with the fed and everything they allow something called fractional reserve lending and that fractional reserve lending from the bank standpoint allows them to lend the same dollar seven to ten times over and over. Okay. So that 2% just became 20% arbitrage. Yeah. It's, it's not magic, it's math. Although the, the fractional reserve lending kind of is magic. <laughs> yeah, because you're, yeah, you're, you're lending currency that doesn't exist, but... Yeah, it is. This okay. this is why we love the strat this strategy of being the banks. I feel like we've crapped enough on the banks. <laughs> well, it's it's not about crapping on the banks. It's about understanding. So yeah. this was this was all about understanding how the banks are making their money because we want to do the same things. Right. Well, and, and so when you look at it, you know what is it? What is it that separates the banks from the rest of the people? Right? Why is it that the banks are primarily the only ones doing these strategies and everyone else is on the wrong side of the table? What is it? Because both of us, <laughs> we're on the right side of the table. This is one of my favorite strategies is being the bank. And I know for you too, mm-hmm. what's the one thing that separates us from everyone else who doesn't do it? Hmm, money? Nope. Nope. Knowledge. Knowledge. It's Knowledge. So, so... Th- Knowledge for most of that. Now, the banks are going to be the only in, um, institutions that are actually allowed to do fractional reserve lending. Like, I wish I could do that. I'd love yeah. to lend the same dollar 10 times. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. For, for us as private investors, we actually have to have the cash available to do it. Or yeah. have a relationship with someone that has the cash available to do it. That has it. Yeah, yeah. It's... You know, because we're looking at this obviously through the lens of real estate investing. And so obviously you need money to purchase real estate. It just doesn't have to be your money. So whether you're the one executing the project or whether you're lending on it or whatever, it doesn't have to be yours. You just have to know how to raise it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Should we talk about some of the, I mean, we can, this topic, I mean, we could go forever on this topic, but just to try to keep it simple, what are some common ways uh, you know, that you could be the bank on a real estate transaction, maybe the, the top most common ways. Ooh, well, we've talked about this on a prior episode. Um, you could do seller financing. So you own a property and you can sell it and collect interest payments and things like that just over time. Yeah. Create you your can, own loan. You can take it up another level with the seller financing and do sandwich seller financing where you've got uh, where basically you purchase the property on seller financing and then make some improvements. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but then turn around and then resell it to somebody else on seller financing again, 
So you're you, that's why it's sandwich, right? You're the you're in the middle of the two seller financing on your buy and on your sell, and both financing um, seller financing you know structures stay in place moving forward. But Ryan, isn't that illegal? Oh, Levi. <laughs> no, it's not. Now every well, I got to preface this. <laughs> Depending on where you are, I don't know where we live. It's absolutely legal. Right in the United States. In the United States, it's legal, and uh, every jurisdiction, yeah, (laughs) right. Every jurisdiction may have different laws. That's why it's important to have a good attorney, real estate attorney, on your team when you're doing these types of things. But yeah, absolutely, it's 100% legal when you do it correctly. Um, Yeah, there's we've done it many a times. (laughs) It is it's totally legit. So it's it's a very technical and a very legal process, though. So make sure you have your professionals involved because. You want to make sure that you're covered and that every everybody in the the transactions plural are covered as well. Yeah, I think and one the of last the last one. Oh, what? Yeah, I was gonna say. I think the uh, probably the one that I know that you have done a lot. And we've done as well. It's lending. Lending. So, lending. We're gonna actually dive a lot deeper into this one today because you you have the ability as a person, an individual, as a company also, to lend money and and make it a legally binding obligation. There's, at least where we're at, I, I, I can't speak for everywhere in the world, but, but in the United States for sure, um, you have this ability to lend money and create a, a legally binding obligation on that. Yeah, now, you know, obviously it's important when you are, if you are going to lend on a deal and that's, I mean, it's great because you sign some docs and then you wait and then you get your money back plus more. (laughs) So I really love that strategy, but there are definitely some important components that you have to make sure are included when you're lending in order to, I mean, protect everyone, but primarily to protect yourself and your investment because your capital is what's gone into the deal. And the first thing you want to look at is the note. And the note, uh, you know, also referred to as a promissory note. Some people call it an IOU. The note is simply the document that defines the terms of the loan. And so, you know, say, okay, I'm going to loan you $100,000 for this period of time. This is what I expect in return, you know, and it's just the the terms of the loan that outlines all the details. So a lot of people get confused on this. Let's let's not get um, caught up in the words promissory note. Um, that note is essentially just a contract. Let's just boil it down. You yeah. are creating a contract that's calling out what's going to happen, what are the terms of the note, how it's going to be repaid, and what happens if they start not repaying, right? So you, you talk about the positives, you talk about the negatives, you talk about it all up front, it's in the document, and... You know, the borrower is going to sign that. In some cases, the, the lender has to sign that as well. Now, here's a question, and I get this, and I know you know the answer to it, Levi, but I'm going to ask it because this is one <laughs> of the... Softball. Yeah, boom. This is one of the most common mistakes that I see, that I've seen time and time again with new investors. When somebody is lending on a deal and they say, well, I have a note... And I, you know, whether they put in 10,000 or 100,000 or whatever, I put this money in, I lent this money on a deal that I'm doing, but I'm protected because I have a note. 
I'm protected. Maybe. And, th- and that's Maybe when not. the note. So the question is, if all you have is a note and nothing else, and you're lending on a real estate transaction, are your funds secured? Not necessarily. So a, a lot of that depends on how good your lawyer is and how good their lawyer is. It, it, if you only have a contract, if yeah. you only have a note. So you got to remember, though, that, that all, every investment carries risks. So does doing lending, right? And so what we're trying to do is figure out how to minimize the risks. And one of the ways to do that is collateral. So if someone comes in and signs collateral against the note, right? They're, they're saying, I don't have money, but I do have this. In an auto loan, that's the car. In right. a real estate transaction, that's the property. And so when we're lending on a real estate transaction, we want collateral and not just collateral, we want to be secured on the deed with a, with a trust deed or subordinate trustee, depending with which position we're in, mm-hmm. on, with the county that that's registered in. So when you're doing that, that says, well, they're not allowed to sell this property without satisfying this obligation. Yeah, yeah, the security, and in some states in the United States, uh, they don't use, they're not trustee states, they're oh, mortgage states. So it could be either a mortgage, and, and that's where people get confused because they're like, well, I just applied for a mortgage. Like, I have a mortgage. The terms, the, you, you have to, the note defines the terms of the money being loaned. Mm-hmm. The security, that money has to be secured against title, or it should be secured against the title of the property using either a mortgage or a trust deed. Because that is what, like you said, that is what uh, inhi- prohibits the uh, property from being transferred or sold without that, uh, that lien or that uh, you know, encumbrance being satisfied on the back end. So it's it, just having a note. I've just I've seen so many people make that mistake. Oh, I just we just wrote up a note and 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 I'm good. Are you secure on title? No, because I have a note. You have to. You yes, want to secure. Do. You secure that money against the title because then otherwise you haven't collateralized it, right? You've got the collateral. You've got the the property. But if you're not a note, even though it's publicly recorded, it doesn't. You know, you you don't secure. You're not securing. You're not secured against title. You have to have a trust deed or a mortgage to secure the funds and the terms of the note against the collateral. So, hope that made sense. It's it's just just remember, you got to have a note and you got to have a trust deed. You got to have both to ensure that you're protected. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's one thing that people miss is recording it legally with the county against yeah. the property. And that's the best way to protect yourself if you're lending on real property is either make sure the title company or you yourself is going to go down there and record it. And there's different types of encumbrances, right? I mean, you could do, you know, a a trustee. There's all different types of, of, uh, you know, you could do a notice of uh, notice of interest or an NOI. There's there's different classifications of encumbrances to protect yourself. You know, you've probably heard of. uh, you know, me- mechanics liens or contractors liens. There's there's all different types of ways to encumber the the title on a property. The important thing is is if you don't understand how to do it correctly, 
make sure you have somebody on your team who does <laughs> that can help you to make sure that uh, because even if it's five grand or ten grand that you're putting in on a deal, uh, are you okay with with losing that? And that's what I ask when when people call me with questions. Hey, you know, thinking about putting this on. What do you think? I say, well, are are you going to be upset if that money never comes back? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> protect yourself. <laughs> Make sure you're doing it right then, because uh, you know. At the beginning, everything's always rosy and happy and clean, but man, sometimes the deals don't go the way you, you hope they can, right? And that's that's where it's really important to ensure that we talk about this all the time. You hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. And that's where ensuring that your note clearly defines all of the terms of, okay, if this happens, then this, or if this and that, and that you're mapping out all your different exit strategies, you're mapping out the different options of of what could happen because obviously everybody wants the right, the good thing, the best option to happen. But sometimes there's other things that are out of your control or or unexpected surprises that pop up. And uh, you want to make sure that you're prepared for that so that everybody's prepared and, uh, you know, it doesn't cause any issues. You just pivot and and keep moving forward. Yeah. And how many, how many notes can be on a, a single property, right? Uh, how many notes? I, I, as far as I know, there's not a limit. You could put as many as you want. <laughs> as far as I know, there's not either. Yeah. But just remember that the further down the line you are when you're putting notes on a property, the more risky that position is. Right. Yeah. So, so, and, and that's that's a really important point. You know, you, you talk about uh, you know first the, the all the liens or the encumbrances on a property have positions. You have first position, mm-hmm. second position, third, et cetera, et cetera. And the 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 what determines what order they're recorded in is de- defines their lien position. So, for example, if you if we have a an encumbrance that was recorded a month ago, and that's the only encumbrance that would be in first lien position. And then today, if we record another lien against it, that would be in second position. And so the when the property is sold and the title company determines what needs to be satisfied in order to clear title, they will, with whatever funds come in, they will clear the first lien first, and then the second lien second, the third lien third. And that's why Levi says it's more risky because the lower down in the chain you get, the less money is going to be in the pot to pay get you paid off effectively. So me personally now, um, I, I'm only willing to go into a first or a second position. Yeah. And the terms on the first and second position can differ quite a bit, actually, because remember, the second position is a little more risky. And so the terms are going to, um, I can't think of the right word, they're going to represent that risk. Right. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't go personally, I wouldn't go, well, I wouldn't say never, but <laughs> there's, it would be very slim pickings for me to go below second position because it's... And, and I have done it. I've gone third position. Um, the deal turned out okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just not the risk that I'm willing to take anymore. Yeah. If, if there's enough spread, and it, would, it depends, right? With any situation, with any transaction, it depends. But generally... You want to be wary of lower lean positions when when doing that. What about a PG? What are your thoughts on a PG? Well, so for our listeners, when he says a PG, we're not talking about a movie rating. Um, (laughs) We're we're talking about a personal guarantee. And that personal guarantee is the person that is borrowing the money, basically saying, 
regardless of what happens with, with the property, if I don't get paid back, you are on the hook. Yeah. And, and so for me, I, I personally like the personal guarantee. Um, there, there are, uh, people in the real estate industry that just won't do it. They, they won't yeah. sign a PG and, and that's okay. But am I going to be willing to lend somebody to that, uh, lend to somebody that's not willing to do a PG? Uh, it depends. Most of the time I want a PG. Well, we've all heard the expression, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. And, and the, somebody, in my opinion, the, when you have an investor who's running the project and they're raising capital from other folks who are lending to them, if you are willing or unwilling to sign a PG, that kind of says something about your confidence in yourself and in your ability to successfully execute the transaction. Now, granted, are there ways to get out of a PG? Well, yeah. I mean, you could file bankruptcy. There's, you know, there's different things that, that uh, I'm not an attorney, but from what I understand, there are ways that you could get out of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, your company typically is the one who is borrowing the funds to do, because we don't do deals under us. We do, we have companies that we run and those companies are the ones that transact the deal. They take title, right? They're taking the capital, everything. And so... I agree that it is important to have a PG on those funds. And I mean, it's not a deal breaker, but it is consideration of, hey, if somebody's not willing to sign a PG, um, why not? And to have that, you know, have that conversation to see why they are confident enough in taking my money, yet not confident enough in saying, oh, I'm going to guarantee that you're going to at least get your principal back <laughs> on the back end of this. <laughs> why not? <laughs> So it's just cause yeah. for pause. So, and a lot of that just comes down to how well do you know the person, especially if you don't know the person and they're not willing to, to do a PG. It's like, uh, no, yeah, may, may not be the deal that you want to do. It, it's up to you. So um, back on terms, what are some of the terms that people can set? Um, well, I mean, you can do, would define whether, uh, you know, whether you have origination points, which mm-hmm. origination is simply, let's, let's say you loaned $100,000 and you had two points origination. That just means that you would be a $2,000 upfront fee for funding or originating the, the loan, right? So whether you have points, uh, you know, origination points, what your annual interest rate is, whether you require monthly payments or quarterly payments or biannual payments or annual payments, or whether the money is simply all due upon the time of sale, um, you would determine. Uh, you can you can figure of, out what's what's due up front, and what's yep. rolled into the loan, and and paid yeah. out on the back end. Um, you can have an underwriting fee. Now, as as a lender, you can charge an underwriting fee because you're actually looking at the deal, and and that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can set that to be whatever you want. It's your own business. You're you're doing the lending. You're doing this kind of stuff but you know if you gouge people you're not going to be in business very long no yeah and and there are um i mean yeah it's just like you would expect with any any loan i mean all of the terms what happens if you default what recourse there is um when when default occurs what happens in a default um how the foreclosure process I, i don't know if you guys know this but uh, if you've ever signed a mortgage for a house before, um, pre-foreclosure starts the day you sign your mortgage. Yeah. 
if you look, there's terminology in there that starts talking about what the foreclosure process looks like. Yep. And so you're basically saying, yeah, I'm agreeing that if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, you can foreclose this property. Yep. Yeah, you're authorizing them to foreclose on you from the beginning. <laughs> right. So it, it's funny and, and it's a weird way to look at it, but pre-foreclosure starts the day you sign your, your note on the yeah. property. Yeah. Just keep up on your payments and, it, and they won't have to, to carry through on their end. And if you can't keep up on your payments, call us and we'll help you. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's one of the things we do is we help folks who are behind on their payments. I mean, there's, yeah, there's tons of, tons of term. I mean, the, the important thing is, is, and I could, I mean, we could pull out a copy of one of our notes and start going through it. But <laughs> it, if you don't understand everything that needs to be in there, make sure that you have a good attorney who does that can help you write it and make sure that it's complete, that it's legal in your jurisdiction and that it covers all your bases. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also remember that there's different types of ways to, to get paid on a note, right? Some of them are just straight interest. Others uh -huh. are percent of the net profit of a deal, depending yeah. on what the deal looks like. And so you just, I mean, the, the sky is the limit when it comes to negotiating a note. Just make sure you have an attorney involved to write the language behind it to make sure everybody's secured in the transaction. Yeah. Well, and it's also important to make sure that you understand the uh, the upside and the downside, right? If you're if if you're just going to be a straight debt lender, then you're getting an interest rate. That's there's pros and cons to that. Versus if mm -hmm. you're more of an equity partner where you're sharing in the net profit on the deal, well, there's there's more risk because the, the 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 profit could be less, but there's also more upside. The profit could also be a heck of a lot more. Yeah. And so you have to determine what makes the most sense for you on that deal with that money in that situation. Do you want to have the higher risk reward or do you want to just go with the straight debt position? So, or maybe a combination of the two, like yep. there's, like you said, the sky's the limit. <laughs> sky's the limit. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's our notes topic. You know, we could talk about this for a, a long time because you know, this is, this is one of my favorite investing strategies. Um, and, and, uh, well, okay, so Levi, so we talked about how to be the bank, but I mean, a lot of our folks are thinking, okay, cool, I don't have $100,000 to go and lend on a deal. You said it doesn't have to be your money, so so what's next? So this is, this is actually leading into um, one of our friends is going to come on and he's going to talk about how to have conversations for raising private capital. This can be for your business. This can be for lending deals on a property. And uh, he's actually done this a lot. Um, he's many over millions. Over $15 million. Nice. It's probably higher than that because he doesn't stop raising capital. And so next week, join us as we have learn about conversations for raising private capital. Yep. We'll be good, guys. From a pro, somebody who does it. So we will see you then next week. Remember, championhustle.com is a website where you can find uh, all the links to subscribe to the show as well as our seven-day quick start boot camp available absolutely free for you to get your business up and running or take your business to the next level. So go check that out, championhustle.com, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Champion Hustle podcast. 
For more great content and to join our online community, visit us at championhustle.com. Oh, 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 oh,